This podcast is exclusively created for men searching for greater ways to connect to their queen and children on a deeper level and build keystone habits that will impact and enhance their movement, mindset, spirit, lifestyle, business, and legacy. Fathers of the Future is about the power of true, authentic storytelling with one sole purpose, to build a better dad. My name is Luke Kayem, and I am a father of the future. Welcome back to the Fathers of the Future podcast. Let's roll. I'm here with my man, a good friend of mine that I've known for close to a decade now, doctor, CEO, NFL <laughs> athlete. Dude, keep it coming. <laughs> keep it coming. You got a lot of titles and you've had a lot of them, but I'm going to call you brother and introduce you as that because as civilians, you and myself, we are brothers that are cut from the same cloth. My man, Derek Price, welcome to the Fathers of the Future hey, podcast. Hey, Luke, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it's good to be here. It's really powerful when we do get a chance to get together. I know mm -hmm. that if you call me, and you'll send me a text every now and again, but I know mm -hmm. when you call me, yeah. you're one of those select men that I've got just about 55 minutes to get back to. Yeah. And whatever you're going to tell me, whatever we're going to discuss, you always know that my answer is, Let's roll. I'm all in. Whatever that Dude, may be. It's funny you say that because the last time I texted you, um, I said, Luke, I got a charity thing and I need you. Um, we got a bunch of people with disabilities and I don't know what the event looks like right now, but I need you in. Your only text back was about three minutes later. It goes, let's roll. I'm in. It, all in. Yeah. All in. That's it, man. I was like, cool. Check. Yeah. That's Luke's how, on board. That's how we got to live life. That's how yeah. I know you've lived life. Yeah, man. We met at SealFit Kokoro uh, about eight years ago, and you were coaching. Uh, yes. You weren't quite a lead coach yet, but you were You were coaching. You were in the hunt. You were yeah. putting in the 55, 60 hours that- I was, I was cleaning toilets and bringing yeah. coffee. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, on my own dime, flying out there. Just wanted to be around the, that group, you know? Let's take it back before sure. you were part of that- how did you find that program and what did it initially do for you and your journey? Yeah, great question. Um, so to really give you the, the real answer on that. So, you know, I played sports for a little bit and then it was taken from me with a career ending injury. So my closure never really sealed up. And within a month of being retired from the NFL, I was enrolled in med school. Like my downtime was nil. I just kept my, my head going. So I go through school and I graduate. I come out. I was asked to be a medical director at the P.F. Chang's Rock and Roll Marathon. And it was uh, the triage at the finish line that I was in charge of. And what happened, man, was I'm watching people finish and I'm seeing that look in their eyes of accomplishment, of chasing down a dream. For a lot of these people, it's a lifelong dream. And they're chasing down these dreams and I kept seeing it all day long. And I was like, I need that. I miss that. I need that. I miss that. Um, so right there on the spot, having not ridden a bike or swam more than across my pool, dude, two days later, I signed up for Ironman, right? What year is this? Uh, this would have been like, oh, six, maybe. So I signed up for Ironman and, uh, couldn't swim, couldn't do that stuff, go to the gym. I'm like, how hard could it be? I see people pounding out laps all day. I'm an athlete, get in the pool, swim across the pool and can't even breathe. Like sought out an amazing coach and worked my way through to, you know, accomplishing, you know, I've done 50 plus uh, triathlons and Ironmans and all that stuff. But one of the races I did was called the uh, Super Frog over in Coronado. And at the Super Frog, I ended up doing pretty good and I won my division. And, um, is that Clydesdale? Yeah, that's a big guy. That's a big guy. Yeah, that's a big guy. And, uh, you know, funny story on that was there's a bunch of uh, team guys in my heat, you know, because there wasn't a whole lot of Clydesdales. And the swim wasn't out and in twice. And I happened to catch a wave coming in both times. So I got out of the water like top three. Didn't think much of it. it was just other than like pretty pumped. Go through the race and I finish it. And then they give me this big plaque and award. And this guy... Um, and you have to excuse the fact that I don't know ranks may have been, he was in a white suit and, you know, maybe an admiral, I don't know, was like, Hey, you should be a seal. You should check this life out and blah, blah, blah. You know, have you ever thought about that? And I was like, well, I'm a doctor. I got some kids. I broke my neck. You know, that that's a fantasy that I wanted to chase. But like, if we could all live multiple lives, maybe I chased that fantasy. But this, at this point in my life, it wasn't for me. 
he brings up the this program called seal fit and goes well there's a kind of a pseudo civilian you know testing program that you if you want to see what it was like and go give it a shot and just that was it just a, one comment that was it so i get in my car i'm supposed to go home i drive up the road to encinitas california i walk in and i was like hey i'm here to sign up for a, a seal fit event and they're like who are you and why are you standing here you know long story short this guy uh, alan anderson who's an amazing coach um is like let's sign you up then let's do it i pay my money signed up good to go i'm like when is it he's like six months i'm like cool he's like are you trained and ready for it i'm like well i'm a triathlete he's like well let me let me give you a little bit more to do start following the program online etc so i do and um i go out to seal fit and i'm standing there on the grinder and for those of you guys that know about seal fit like it is a beatdown. I thought it was a fantasy camp. Like I thought I was going to show up and I'm going to hang out with a bunch of seals. He'll hear some cool stories and jump out of helicopters and scuba dive and shoot guns. That is not the case at all. Right. So as I'm standing on the grinder, waiting for this thing to pop off, uh, I'm surrounded by all these Naval Academy kids. They're like 19, 20, 21. And uh, this coach, amazing coach, guy named Chris Smith. Chris, if you're listening, what's up, brother? Walks over to me. He's like, Hey man, you know, you're too old and too heavy for this. Like you're in the wrong program. I'm sorry that this happened. Let me walk you over here. I'll get you refunded. You're just, you're in the wrong place. I was like, Oh really? He's like, yeah, just come, come over here with me. Just super catch. Come on over. If you're here when it starts, then they're going to keep your money, but we can get you out of here right now. So I, I legitimately think, okay, I'm sorry. I signed up for the wrong thing. I, I start to take a step and my classmates were like, he's messing with you. Like he's just trying to get you to quit. And I was like, who are you trying to get me to quit? I'm here for fantasy camp. Right. And then the grenades go off, right? And boom, boom, boom. And, and life goes crazy. Uh, 50 hours later, 50 plus hours later, um, you know, Glenn Doherty and uh, the rest of the team gives me the Honor Man Award and asked me the same question. Like, hey, have you ever thought about being in a team, this, that, and the other thing? And I'm like, of course, who hasn't? Like, what, what red-blooded American wouldn't want to say yes to that? But, you know, I'm a little older, this, that, and the other thing. And so I said, well, why don't you just come back and kind of see it from the other side of the fence? So that's how that started. So I came back for about a year on my own dime to everything that they did just to be around that group of people. And I was, you know, making breakfast and I was, I was unplugging, you know, toilets and sweeping sand and, you know, just, just the lowest level you could possibly be, but just around it. And as the years went on, I just, I just never stopped showing up. I guess really what it comes to Luke's, I just never stopped just showing up. And uh, over time, I start coaching a little bit and I start helping out in the evolutions and I run evolutions and I run shifts and, you know, I, I built it up pretty well to where um, I got to where I was kind of, you know, in charge of the, the, the whole party to some degree. While you are uh -huh. married, running a chiropractic right. business, yeah. having kids. CrossFit gym. Yeah. yeah. You were just doing it on the side on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. So. Because. Uh, because of what it did for you yes yeah a hundred percent like it it she's how to articulate it did it change my life it changed my life in that it uncovered truths that i knew but i didn't know were there and it opened up passions that i knew were i knew were there but weren't on the forefront and it's the look in the eye of somebody who's accomplished something great that satisfies my soul and in watching graduations and watching people finish marathons and watching people win fights, you know, whatever that is, like, that's my, that's my heroine. And that's kind of what, what's led me to where I'm at now. Yeah. Beautiful, man. So we've talked about obviously the program a few times on, on mm -hmm. this show. I've shared a couple of stories, uh, but ultimately at the end of the day, in my mind, it is a rite of passage. When oh, you know yeah. somebody's graduated, the language is different. For sure. You can trust them. You can honor them. You can respect them. Now, on the opposite end of that, I know three or four guys who didn't make it through. Mm -hmm. yeah, we know, I'm sure, yeah. multiples who, who rang that bell. Did it ever cross your mind during the program, during the 55 hours? Um, of course it did. Like, I would be lying to you if I said I sat here and never thought about quitting. Uh, I... I there may be one or two guys like maybe Tommy Hackenbook never thought about quitting. Um, there's been a couple guys that are just superhumans, and uh, that wasn't me. 
I'm, I'm just an average dude. And there was many times where I was like, I'm way too cold. I'm way too tired. I have way too many injuries. And everything in my mind was like giving me the most credible answers as to why I should not continue. Like the most confident, like, oh, your knee is this way and your back is this way and you're dehydrating and you have children at home and you have businesses to run. You need to bow out now. Like super convincing. But I'd made like one deal with myself going into this that I'll never make a decision in the dark, right? Mm. And I think you and I have had that discussion. You and I have coached together and we've yeah. had that discussion. And we've tried to relay it to people. Never make a decision in the dark. Use that for whatever metaphor you want. But the two times that I thought this is too much when I, is when I was alone and cold and had my thoughts. And I was like, well, when the sun comes up, if I still feel this way, maybe I'll quit. But sun came up and I was like, they can't stop time. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. As soon as that light comes out, I'm a totally different person. Man. Totally. Get, Everybody. get cold, get dark, get mm -hmm. internal. All yeah. of a sudden I'm blaming everything on everyone. And the mm -hmm. next thing you know, just a little bit of sunshine. Yeah. And I've taken that obviously in, in my com competition career in other sports, mm -hmm. world's toughest mutter and Alcatraz. You know, you said you didn't know how to swim in 2006. Yeah. And and this last event you just spoke of where it was a charity event at right. Town Lake. Right. You you saved two of us. Uh, and, <laughs> I don't know if it's saved. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said, hey, look, you guys aren't swimming fast enough. Yeah. And you literally like toe hitched mm -hmm. three human beings. <laughs> it, it looked like a scene from like uh, uh, a crazy, you know, movie gone bad where like propellers came out of your feet right. and you just tore across it. What has the versatility in your training done for you since breaking your neck in the NFL? Yeah. Um, so I have had a myriad of injuries. Um, I have four screws in my right shoulder. I have three in my left shoulder. I have eight in my neck. I got 16 under, under my nose. And then you have the lower body after that, right? So I'm a grinder meathead to, you know, at heart, but having been in the chiropractic field and the sports performance field it opened my eyes to recovery is equally as important. So when I found swimming, I really discovered something that allowed me to, you know, express my fitness and walk away feeling good and not beat down all the time. So I have an addictive personality and I just dove in on that and I really got into the swimming heavy and I've gone and, you know, I've swam quite a few events that are just swim only now. And, um, you know, maybe it's a chance to meditate and get out of my own head for a little bit, but I love it. T tell us about the English Channel. <laughs> English Channel, right. So Lance Cummings, uh, a true mentor in my life. Lance Cummings was a um, retired Navy SEAL and took me under his wing. He opened up Epic Charity Challenge and was able to, you know, amass like, I don't know, a quarter million dollars, $300,000 and every single penny went to the charity so every participant that got in on this um, nobody made money nobody got their travel paid for nobody got their event paid for it we had to come out of pocket so he comes up with this idea that the 74th anniversary of world war ii d-day invasion at normandy beach we should go out there and we should you know do like a 10k swim into the beach and then load up with, uh, you know, 50, 60 pounds of sand off the beach and then ruck to St. Lowe, which is like 25 miles. Well, the event sounds beautiful on paper, but we got there and the French Coast Guard tried to stop the event because the seas were too bad. The storms were too bad. The rain, the wind, the, the low ceiling, et cetera. So there was a bit without getting into too much or getting people in trouble. For all intents and purposes, when you got 25 SEALs and a handful of civilians that want to do something, it just gets done. So we're able to like coerce this French guard, this French Coast Guard boat to take us offshore just to show us where they would have dropped us had we been allowed to do the event. And now, mind you, if you've ever been in open ocean where it's just gray and wavy and rainy, like and you can't see land, sun, sea, stars, mountains, nothing. It's it's same, same in every direction. We get out there and I'm like, okay, well, it's good to see where we would have been. Well, Lance jumps off the side of the boat and then Kaz jumps off the boat 
And then Tree jumps off the boat. And I'm like, this is happening. So I jump off the boat, right? So everybody jumps off the boat, man. And we just, um, the French Coast Guard guys got irritated. They were supposed to like lead us in where we follow the boat. They just turned and bolted. So now we broke up into pods because the, the tides or whatever, different swim abilities. And I'm swimming with a group of four dudes. And I think we're going the right way, but I'm following this guy. I won't drop his name, but he's a naval officer. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is, you know, 20 year SEAL. The guy's naval officer. Like we're in the ocean. This is his world. Well, about like an hour and a half into this swim that we're just straight laying it down. He stops me because we're in the front and he goes, hey man, are you sure you're going the right way? And I said, why would you ask me that? I've been following you. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just trying to stay on your toes. And he's like, yeah, I don't know where we are. <laughs> so he's like, hey, there's a group coming up behind us. Don't say anything. You'll freak people out. Okay. So this group rolls up behind us and they're like, hey, how are we doing, guys? And he's like, hey, man, we're, we're chugging along. We're almost there. We should be seeing land shortly. Everybody good to go? Check. Keep going. So we keep on going. Another block of time passes by and then a, a boat comes out of nowhere and they come screaming up to us, calling emergency all stop. And we had, they, they start saying, you guys lost somebody at sea. Um, you guys are down a man. We don't know who it is. There's four different boats that are out here now. We have different people on different boats and there's no communication. So Lance immediately assumes responsibility and just basically for all intents and purposes, commandeers this boat and takes over the helm and just jumps on the radio. And he's like, Hey, if any other seals are on these other boats, like take over the radio right now. Within like five seconds, check boat one inch boat two in. I was like, this is legit. And now we're all going to jail. <laughs> we just, we just literally took over these French coast guard boats. Um, which by to, the way, how, how old is Lance? Dude, he's timeless. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 it looks like 25. He's probably 55. Yeah. And by, by far the scariest one of all. When, oh, yeah. When going through Kokoro, it was like, okay, th that's the real deal when he would show up. Oh, man. Yeah. He's a beast. Yeah. An even better person than he is a beast. Long story short, the, um, the photographer jumped in the water and was like, no way too, too cold too rough. I'm out. Swims to the other side of the boat and climbs back on board. So they counted him overboard, but not back on. So this is where the story gets really fun. So we're sitting on the back of the, the boat now and, and everybody's throwing up. The seas are bad, cold. You know, our support boat got lost. We didn't have water, all this other stuff. And, um, we're cruising along and this guy sitting next to me goes, um, Hey man, you see that dark cloud over there? I was like, okay they're all dark clouds but okay he's like that's land i was like mm, yeah okay whatever it looks like a dark cloud like all the other ones guy gets up goes in the boathouse comes back he goes yep 2500 meters off of this bearing that's land and i'm like chris how could you possibly know that he goes looks me dead in the eye deadpan because i'm an astronaut <laughs> chris cassidy look him up and it, Anybody gives you that response because I'm an astronaut, you just go check goggles, go back on. And as the boat is like still moving, dudes start going over the side. About half of us went back in. The other half was already, um, they were, they were sick. They were, you know, cold, you know, whatever. And we're swimming it in. Um, I'm just looking at this cloud and thinking like, I hope this is the deal. The French coast guards yelling at us. They're like, we're leaving. We can't stay out here. You guys, if you go, you're on your own. Bye. They bolt. I'm like, all right, this is an all in situation. So now we're swimming towards this cloud. And then I start feeling like I'm on a treadmill. Like I'm not going anywhere because the tide shifted. We missed the tide. We were too late. Now the water's coming out and I start getting rolled by waves and you know, it's been hours in freezing cold water. And, um, eventually one of these waves just plants me into the sand. And that's when I first stood up and realized like, oh my gosh, like, we actually have found land. I take off my tinted cover goggles, which anybody swims open water when it's really dark, don't wear those. <laughs> you can't see anything. So I take them off and we, you know, boom, we get to land and, and all is good. Um, and all the, we wait for the other guys to show up, they get there. And then we realize we're on a beach and it's not where we are supposed to land. We don't know where we're at. So again, he's like, well, we hit this heading we came from this direction and the wind's going that way. So let's go this way. 
like, okay, cool. So we walk it in for about a mile going up the beach and it's super foggy. Like imagine like a movie scene, almost like that movie, like Armageddon where the guys come out of like the, the clouds or whatever, or they come out of like the smoke. My family and other people in our families are running towards us. And I'm like, awesome. What a moment of celebration. This is going to be the best. Well, as they get closer, my daughters and my wife have been bawling mascara everywhere like just crying jump on me and hug me like we're so glad you're safe we're so glad you're alive and i'm like uh where is this kind of coming from oh well they were radioing us telling us that a man was lost at sea they didn't find him they never got back to us then they picked some people up they said we picked some people up we're heading in and then some other guys just jumped off the boat so we left them so like that for like a four to five hour window was the intel that my family had on the beach they didn't know who was gone, who was lost, who was picked up, nothing. They were like, somebody's not there anymore. And the guys couldn't leave somebody behind. They all jumped off the boat and then the boats left them, right? Blah, blah, blah. We bring it in and, um, you know, we get that settled. And then we were, we actually got to do something amazing. We got to swim a World War II veteran's ashes back out to sea and, uh, you know, lay his ashes to rest with his brothers that had all, you know, unfortunately died there at Normandy. And that was super emotional and uh, amazing experience. And then, um, you know, that was the swim. That's the first time I heard that story. That's a personal one. Like yeah. that one doesn't come out often. Yeah, no, that's a good one right there. Let's go back here for a moment sure. to share with the listeners the linear timeline of seven years old Yeah. to when you broke your neck in the NFL. Okay. And... Obviously, you had some tragedy at that age and then going through and growing up with two younger brothers that you had mm -hmm. to take care of, getting into sports, getting into football, getting into high school, college, and then the pros. Just kind of walk us through that. Sure. And understanding that as you go back, that the sole purpose of this podcast is to share with the men both what they experienced as a young man mm -hmm. and what they're now living as a grown-up that there's a lot that we carry and doing things mm -hmm. like swimming the English channel or throwing yourself out of an airplane or going to seal fit mm -hmm. is the way that we feel the most alive when we've gone through so much trauma and struggle growing up. Absolutely. Um, so early on in life, um, seven years old, I have a four year old brother and a one year old brother and my father passes away with brain cancer. My mom uh, remained single. Her whole life after that still is this day. She's amazing. She's my rock. Um, she's a school teacher, raised three football players. How she made money to put food on the table, like I still can't work the math out, but it was there. Um, got a paper out when I was like, you know, nine years old, as soon as I was allowed to get one, up at 4 a.m. And just, I think that's kind of what started to mold me into who I am was knowing that if you're not going to do it, nobody's going to do it for you. Like, don't talk about it, be about it type of an attitude. And, uh, I remember my senior year in high school talking to my mom about college and whatnot and say, Hey mom, so, you know, how are you going to pay for my college? Cause all my friends are getting their college paid for and they have, you know, college accounts and this and that. She's like, Oh yeah, I don't have any money. I was like, Oh, okay. So I was able to get a, a very small football scholarship to Mesa community college. And uh, I mean, I think they paid for books and maybe tuition and, and uh, that was about it. Very small. So I'm like, cool, let's go do that. Like that gives me into college. I don't have money to pay for it. Let's go do that. So I go there and I go through my first year. I see the field maybe two or three times, hurt my knee. It was basically just a guy that was lucky to be there for all intents and purposes. Um, but for whatever reason, after the season, I started getting offers coming in from other small colleges, you know, hadn't really played much at all, but I had, you know, you're either born tall and faster or not to some degree. And I was blessed with it. And it's what it is. And I had a coach, uh, Jim Ewing, call me from New Mexico Highlands and, and say, hey, man, I'm gonna give you a full ride scholarship. Come out here and play for me, which satisfies my dreams, right? Like college scholarship, this and the other thing. Well, the new coach that came in my sophomore year said, hey, I think you're destined for bigger things, but you've got to make the decision that you're going to put in the work to make it happen. You can take what's there or you can give us another year at the JUCO level and put in work and see, you know, yeah, I believe in you, but you got to put in the work. So I doubled my efforts and, um, you know, by the third or fourth game of the season, I was getting over a hundred pieces of mail a day and had my choice and went to, took a full ride to university of Iowa and 
picked up a whole bunch of football honors that year and go to Iowa and meet lifelong friends, man. Like my roommate, Scott Slusker, Bobby Yako, Todd Romano, you know, those guys still, I still communicate with them. They're my brothers, you know, bled with them, whatever. And I go through Iowa, um, I get my degree, but football was always a means to an end for me. It wasn't, I wasn't ever attracted to the fans, to the notoriety, to the fame, to the TV. Um, that, that was never my why. My why was I want to have a college degree. This is a method to pay for it. And it's better than working at Subway, right? So I decide uh, during my senior year that I'm just going to finish out my senior year of football. And, you know, I graduate in December. I'm an early graduate. I'm going to go home and get a job in business, whatever that means. How did you guys do your senior year? What's that? How did you guys do? What was your record? Um, we <clears throat> were nationally ranked. We were crushing it. We went into game of the week against Ohio State. I think we were four. They were one. And they put us 56 to zero by halftime. And that pretty much, <laughs> that pretty much summed up how the rest of that year went. We ended up in a bowl game, played against Washington, the Alamo Bowl. But an average season for Iowa. Um, so I go home, I graduated, and I'm sitting on the couch trying to fill out applications. I think I was going to work as a Xerox copy salesman. And another blessing, like uh, Chuck Long, who was the Heisman runner-up to Bo Jackson, calls me up and he goes, hey, um, same speech I had in JUCO. He's like, you're destined for more. You have the potential. If this is what you want, nobody's going to give it to you, but you'll regret it your whole life if you don't show up and try. That was all it took. I said, cool. Two days later, packed my car from Arizona, drove back to Iowa, started training. And uh, on draft day, I get signed by Detroit Lions. And um, as an undrafted free agent, my rookie year, I played in all the games and, uh, you know, had a, had a great run. Broke my neck with about four games left. Didn't tell anybody. How'd you do it? Running down on kickoff, you know, just smashing heads, just took an unlucky angle and just smashed my head and, I didn't know my neck was broken, right? Had I known my neck was broken, I probably obviously would have stopped. But all the fire just shot, you know, down my spine and then into my shoulder. So I was like, oh, I tore my shoulder up. There's four games left. At that time, there was no guaranteed contracts. So it was like, you know, in the tub does not make the club. And I always felt like I was lucky to be there, not deserving to be there. So I was playing in every game. Uh, I didn't want, I just didn't say anything. I just kept under wraps. And I uh, get through the season, I go home, they send me a new contract, I sign it, I go back out to the first OTA and they look at me and they're like, what happened to you? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, your left arm is like 10 inches around, it used to be like 18. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's shaking, I can't control it. Like, it was a lot of neurological damage. So an amazing, amazing agent got me to the best surgeons out in uh, Los Angeles, I do surgery. They put bolts and screws in my neck, you know, and then I'm thinking I'm still gonna play. I go back out to Detroit. Uh, Bobby Ross is now the new head coach there. Wayne Fonce had retired. And Bobby pulls me in his office. He's like, hey, here's the deal. Um, everybody likes you. You're a great kid. We love you. You have amazing potential. But as a human being, I will never put you on the field and put you in harm's way with what you have in your neck. So I'm going to give you two options. I'm going to honor your contract. And you can stay on the team on injured reserve and you can go to all the games with us and you can be at the practices and you can do that whole thing. You can ride this contract out on the sidelines or we can shake hands and you can start your life. And there was like probably a five second pause. I stood up and I said, thanks for the opportunity. Um, I'll get my stuff. And that was it. I rolled and uh, went home. And a month later, I was back in my prereqs to get back into chiropractic school and you know, just, just jumped, you know, didn't want to sit on the sidelines. That wasn't, that wasn't me. You, you've been married 27 years to yeah. your other rock, Heather. The rock. The rock, the, the rock, rock. The rock. Yeah. Heather where, Price. Where did, where did you guys meet? So, uh, Heather and I met in a crazy story, man. Like, um, I was living the athlete life and, you know, footloose, fancy free and met a really good friend who's still a lifelong friend of mine. And uh, was hanging out with him a little bit. And his girlfriend showed me a picture of their high school coronation dance. And I said, "And see that girl in that picture? They're like, yeah. I'm like, set me up with her. And they're like, no chance. She's one of the good ones. Way too good for you. Like, you're living a different life than she's living. And I was like, set me up with her. 
And they were really protective of her, which made me like want to get to her more, right? So um, we ended up getting on the phone together and we went on a blind date to a Marcos, which is the high school I went to, to versus Gilbert high school football game. This is in 91. And um, we dated while I was at MCC. She was a cheerleader there. And then I went to Iowa. She went to ASU. She became a Cardinals cheerleader. She became Pro Bowl captain of the Cardinals cheerleader. And while I was at Detroit, you know, we kind of got into this conversation. I was like, you know, our lives are, are taking off right now. We either need to do this mission together or it's probably time to, to say goodbye. Um, of course, I didn't want that to happen. And she didn't want it either. So she goes, all right. She quit Cardinals that day, loaded up her stuff, moved to Detroit. <laughs> married, done. Happily married since we got married in 90 seven and you know still married today but she is you know i know she's gonna listen to this and i'm not just blowing her head up but she's the sole reason um that i live the life that i live and then the kids are just icing on the cake you know it's, it all comes together right into one big package but having a partner like i have that's a best friend that that fills every single box for me um, gives me the freedom to fail forward oftentimes in life and try new adventures because I know I can always come home and she's always going to be there to support. Yeah. You said something pretty powerful in the, the precast that, you know, she supports you in a way that she runs the entire thing at home in yeah. the shop with three girls, uh, 18, 16 and 12. We're going to talk about them in a minute here, but she gives you that opportunity to go and do some pretty wild and crazy shit. And as, as we're speaking, my, my wife's calling me from uh, about to board a plane from New York City home. All right. And, and I have a rock in that same capacity to allow me to just absolutely mm -hmm. flip the switch. Yeah. And if I decided to go be a monk and, uh, you know, yeah. live in Tibet for a season, mm -hmm. we'd figure out a way to, to remain together. Yeah. Totally you, agree. You have one of those at home blessed blessed you got three girls kylie 18 Haley 16 and sadie 12. some of the things you mentioned before are like it's what every parent wants their kids to right. be before we get into them specifically how have you raised such phenomenal young ladies <clears throat> my wife did it <laughs> um i think early on we adopted a the love and logic strategy where we would talk through our kids like if this then that if this then that make your own decision and we never tried to strangle hold them into doing what mom and dad want um, we never browbeat them over cleaning their bedroom or doing their laundry um, we just said like if your bedroom is clean you can go hang out with your friends if you choose not to clean your bedroom you can't like i'm not emotional one way or the other you pick and choose and they just learned that that was the real deal. And, you know, some, some life lessons they've seen along the way is, you know, we're driving to California once and they're fighting over one of those uh, Game Boys in the back seat. I said, hey, you guys figure out how to solve this or I'm going to figure out how to solve this. They kept fighting. I said, let me see the game. I rolled down the window. It was like a $300 thing. Threw it out. Just threw it out the window. Yeah, it cost me 300 bucks, but they know like with decisions come consequences. And I think that that, and then just Luke, more than anything is being there. That's really, if I had to say there's magic to it, uh, I think there's a lot of luck with kids cause you never know, but we're just always there and we value experience and time with one another over material things. So I don't buy their love with, with watches and bracelets and diamonds. Um, we play board games on Sunday night. We have dinner every night of the week together. We eat breakfast every morning together. And that's not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. Like that's real life for me because that fills my soul and has become their norm. So we're just, we're in each other's lives is really what it comes down to. And I think that they see their mom as a strong person. They see me as, you know, being all right. And, um, you know, I, I, I see little mini me's running around, man. Like I couldn't be more proud of where they're all at in their own capacity because they're all chasing down their dreams 
how did you become such a phenomenal father having lost yours at seven? Where did the male role model come mm -hmm. from for you to be able to set the, the example mm -hmm. and the standard in your family? First and foremost, I give credit to my mom for being dual purpose. Uh, mom was working teacher, substitute teacher, extra jobs, et cetera. But she was at every practice. She was at my games. She was at the banquets. She was always there. Um, so I, I, I don't know what it's like to have grown up with a father. So I can't speak to that, but I can speak to being unconditionally supported, whether it came from one people at one person or two. And from that, I think that's where, that's where my journey in just understanding, like you just have to be unconditionally supportive and be there. And when you do that, things work out, right? Things just work out. Things don't build up. If you have an issue, you deal with it. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it's dealt with. It's buried and you move on. Um, I've always wondered like how I actually am as a father because I don't have something to put it against. At this point in my life, being 47 and having lost my dad at seven, I don't know anymore if the stories and the memories I have are what I actually remember about my dad or if it's the stories I've heard other people tell me so many times. Um, good man though yeah amazing amazing man like kind of a crazy guy you know like um played ice hockey uh rodeo pro rodeo circuit um but was just there you know um my mom says love her life and and holds to it to this day um you know i guess rarely are people going to tell you something bad about your dad when he dies but i have i've yet to hear a bad story but um and you know my mom keeps saying hey you're so much like him that, you know, well, if I turned out all right, I guess he must've been pretty cool too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a phenomenal way of explaining that, right? A lot of guys on this show, myself included, have grown up without a father because of the father's choice. Mm -hmm. in, in your case, dad did not choose to die yeah. of cancer. No. That was the, the kind of the luck of the draw. Yeah. I, I carried a lot of resentment. Did you carry any resentment? I did, up? you know, I did, but it was, it was resentment that I built into myself thinking that life wasn't fair. I felt like I got an unfair shake. And I think that's what put the chip on my shoulder to, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it because I felt like the chips were stacked against me. I mean, it's cool to have your mom show up at the baseball banquet, but it's probably pretty cool to have your dad there too. You know, um, was I playing catch with my mom in the backyard? No, I'll throw it against a brick wall over and over and over again, where other guys are playing with their dad and this and that. And, and so I would be lying if I didn't say that there was some pain inside, um, that I really didn't ever deal with, you know, and I don't know what that means by deal with it other than I'm just going to be the best version of what I thought he would have been if he was here. So it's been something that's kind of guided me a little bit. Like my dad wasn't there. That hurts me. I'm a dad now. I'm going to be there. Mm. Yeah. This concept of certified does not mean qualified. <laughs> you, you reminded me of a conversation that we had and super powerful to, you know, hear that you still adopt to that being a, a CrossFit affiliate owner in the past and being in the chiropractic space mm -hmm. and, you know, um, not being an astronaut, if you will, right? Yeah. Like myself, a meathead at heart. Right. Uh, but knowing that there's so much more out there to the game of life, you are a highly qualified human being to be teaching and leading people. Mm -hmm. This new space that you are getting into we call this time shameless self-promotion. Right. Just kind of tell us what you're doing now. So Luke, um, what I've done is I put myself in a situation where I'm, I'm at a place where I can chase down dreams that satisfy my soul. And in reflecting back on my life, everything I've done, um, I was either being coached or I was coaching because as a chiropractor, when I was in practice, I don't practice anymore, but when I was in practice, um, I would see a hundred patients a day. And that's why both my shoulders blew out, I'm sure. But, and I don't have a drug or a surgery to offer them. So I had to listen to people. What's going on with you and how can I help? And it's not always a stretch or an exercise or an adjustment. Nine times out of 10, it's like, there's a life stress going on. There's a, a bad choice that's being habitually made 
repeatedly time and time again. So in doing that and taking that over, I kind of adopted that philosophy of, I like to help people. I like to coach people. That's what led me to seal fit. That's what led me to be a coach there. That's what led me to meet Shane Henderson, David Powell work with the 20 X group. That's what led me to raise money for charity with Lance Cummings, Epic charity. Um, I can't tell you how many different charity events and Luke, you know, how many CrossFit different functional fitness, IAC series, all these different things that we've done to ultimately it's about helping other people, right? Like my first charity event, I think that you helped me put together when I opened a CrossFit gym was I had a patient who, um, her, she had a daughter with uh, a severe diabetes and some other health issues. And the dad is a hunter. That's how he makes his living. He's a guide. So he's not around, no fault of his own, but the mom had to get a job to get insurance. And now she's working 60 hours a week. And the, this child was in a situation where, you know, every two or three hours she had to have her glucose monitor because it was that volatile. And she's a patient of mine. And, you know, I'm talking to her. I'm like, you need sleep. You've got to sleep. Like your body won't heal unless you get some sleep. And she's like, it's just not an option. My kid, I could walk in the next, if I get eight hours of sleep, kid could be dead in the morning. I said, well, that's terrible. So what can we do? She's like, well, they, they have these dogs out that can smell blood glucose now, but you know, we can't afford that and insurance doesn't pay for it. So on the spot, I go, all right, well, go find the dog you want. We're going to get it for you. And then I called you up and I was like, Luke, I wanted to throw together a, an event, a CrossFit functional fitness. And you helped me set this up and we were able to get that dog for him and it changed their life. Like, and that was probably like the biggest jump off point for me. That was very early in my Cairo career. And, um, has led to me really just becoming passionate about helping people reach their potential, helping them, you know, achieve their best version of self. And, um, you know, it's, it's how I live my life. So it's not de novo for me. I didn't read a book and decide this is a good move for me. Like my whole life has geared me into this position. Qualified, not certified. I, I think we got a round of shirts uh, in that game. Yeah, man. baby. I, I, I love... You know, to say, sit here and say, hey, I love what you're doing, it's an understatement, man. Just Appreciate the simple it. fact that we have connected in so many various ways. Uh, I shared on the conversation earlier, too, that you brought Jorge Aragon into my family's world. Okay. And, uh, you know, for the listeners out there, Jorge walked into my gym at 17 years old and said, I want to go to the CrossFit Games. And that might have been the last time I ever beat him in a workout. You know, <laughs> he's a beast. Fast forward he's a beast. eight years later, and he's ran my gym. He's a big part of my Crucible coaching program. He has completed Fathers of the Future with his own dad, and he, he shows up. Yes, he does. So you brought that man into my life and this circle of influence that, that we often have, it is a reminder of how important it is to not play alone in the sandbox. Mm -hmm. If you were to look back at your 18, 20, 22 year old self, right. what would you tell him about this past 25 years? I would say just show up. Being present is 90% of the deal. Like everything I look at in life, I just kept showing up. I just kept showing up and I just wouldn't, you know, I can say don't quit, but that's cliche. I just showed up, man. I just kept, kept being there and, uh, I don't stray from it. You know, I'm, I have a personality type that if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And you know, if I say I'm gonna work out with you at five in the morning and I stay up with my kid until three cause they're sick, you don't get a phone call from me. You give me a five in the morning mm. and I just, I take pride in that. Um, I would tell my 22 year old self is love harder and let more people know how you feel about them because you don't know when you're not going to have them in your life anymore. So I would, I don't think my 22 year old self would understand that, but I think I read it on yours today. I love you is the most powerful three words in all of any language. And we hold that and we don't share it, but why not? You know, you know how easy it is to say that or just text it to somebody. I mean, think about this right now, Luke, like, like you and I love each other. We're brothers. We've been, we've been through it a couple of times, but like, if you just texted somebody today and say, so your college roommate, Hey bro, think about you. Love you, man. 
Like, do you know the impact that has on people? It's amazing. So why don't we do that? Yeah. Why don't we do it? So three weeks ago, I was training at a CrossFit gym here locally, and there was a extremely sedated drunk. I wouldn't quite call him homeless in the fact that he was wearing some Nikes, but he was definitely shattered. Mm -hmm. And he was just sitting down in the corner of the parking lot as we're running our 200s, just dogging everyone. Mm -hmm. And I stopped and I said, hey, I love you. Now, it was an experiment because I know what could have happened from that. Mm -hmm. He could have thrown a punch at me and I was prepared to take it. Uh, my son was with me at the class and most people were chitter chattering of, we got to kick him out. We got to call the cops. And I took the opposite end of that spectrum and said, I love you. And he looked at me and he spoke under his breath and I don't know what he said. I just did it on my run mm -hmm. and he got up and he left. And he left his bottle of, you know, super cheap uh, whiskey yeah. or whatever it was. And afterwards, my son says, what'd you say to him? You tell me you're going to kick his ass? And I said, no, I told him that I loved him. Yeah. And he goes, why? He, he couldn't fathom it. And it happened so quickly that I thought in my mind, could you imagine if every hostile situation that we went into every single time you got pulled over? by a police officer, right. like whatever it may be that is going on in a negative way and the aggression that we hold, especially as masculine men and the testosterone, right. that our response was, I love you. Yeah. How we could shift the, the energy of this universe. And, I, and I've been on a path of spirituality as we've talked about. So I was in the right place to say that. But, you know, 15 years ago, I'm telling that dude, you better get the fuck out of here yeah. or else I'm going to kick his ass. Right. It's taken a lifelong practice, mm -hmm. but I love you is so powerful. Mm -hmm. If you were to tell your four beautiful girls, five with your mom, your mm -hmm. three daughters, your wife and your mom, right? if you were to tell them that this was your last moment on earth and that you were going to be an astronaut and head to the moon, mm -hmm. What would you say to them that maybe you haven't said to them in a while? Huh. You know, we always end our, all of our discussions with, uh, and I love you. Um, even as my 18 year old, you know, every time she's with her friends, we're on the phone still. I love you. I love you. Um, I would say follow your gut, follow your gut, follow your passion, follow your heart. Um, I can't tell you how many times that the logic and the mathematics and the probability stacked up on one side but my passion and my heart where it's on the other side. And because I have, you know, my life experiences and I have my rock Heather, I, I followed my gut, followed my passion. And I'm sitting here in front of you on a podcast right now talking about it. So we're doing all right. Yeah. You're doing more than all right, man. You, you're living your purpose and now getting into this space of coaching, teaching, empowering and impacting. It is so beautiful to be able to sit here knowing like we could crush walls, man. There's a brick wall across from us. Right? Sure. And if we needed to, we could do that. But we, we win a bigger battle mm -hmm. if we do it with, with our heart, with our consciousness, with our attention, with our love, with our eyes. I want to read you what you brought up a moment ago that I wrote this morning. I love you. The three most valuable words we can say write type or text. It has unlimited reach, potential, and the power to end war, stop violence, let go of trauma, and give unconditionally with our entire heart. But yet we, us men, the fathers, are afraid to use it openly with the world and the people, places, and things in it. Our ego is attached to our love and hate equally. It's the polarity constantly pulling us in both directions. When we fear, doubt, and lose hope, we are truly not loving ourselves. And when we yell, fight, and hurt others, we are completely going against the unlimited love we have available to give. Today, each of us has the ability to love and share that love with the world. Derek Price, I yes, love sir. you, brother. Love you too, man. Yeah. That's on my Instagram. If you're not following at Luke Kaim on Instagram or Facebook, make sure you do that for more powerful knowledge and information and content and education. Where can we find you, Mr. Price? <clears throat> yeah, so um, Derek C. Price is my Instagram, um, Facebook, Derek Price. 
And uh, I do have my coaching side of the business, which is myhighpoweredlife.com. And um, I've been told I need to take my content down and try and click funnel it and sell it to you. But, you know, why? You know, not everybody can afford this, but everybody needs it, you know. Um, and then I don't have business Instagrams or Facebooks because I want people to know me. Uh, so look at my family, look at what I've done, look who I am. And if, if I'm a good fit for you, and if you think that I can help you out and be, you know, the key to your lock, um, I'm a phone call away. I'm an email away. You email me, I'm gonna call you back. Hey, let's do it. Drop that phone number right it. now. Let me pull that up. I just got, <laughs> a new, I got, I got a new phone number for this yeah. right here, bro. Yeah. Hey, just got if you're one. listening, I'm gonna give you my cell phone number too. 760-333-0959. Drop me a text that says, I love you and who you are and where you heard this, where you got it from. Most of the listeners on this podcast already probably have my cell phone from, from working with me or just being a part of it. But yeah. we are not only humanizing our brand, but we're, we're proving that this is not a marketing funnel. We all know in business, you got to have it. But at the same time, there's two real men right here that are going to have the same conversation right now as we would at home or at a restaurant. Nothing artificial. Nothing at all, man. How can the listeners find you? What is that number? Um, or your email? I'll tell you what. I'm gonna give, here's my cell. Yeah. Like, because if, yeah. if, this is, if this resonates with you, call me personally. Yeah. 480-242-0935. That's not my business cell. Yeah. It's not my office. That's my personal cell phone number. And... This will go out to a thousand people, but it's going to resonate with one. Yeah. So when, if somebody's ready to make that lift and they want to have that conversation, call me, text me, email me, get any above, but, but just show up, just do something. If I, I may not be the right guy, but find somebody who is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, listen, last thing I'll leave you with Luke is, you know, people ask me like, you know, I'm already successful this and that. Why would I use a coach? Right. And you've, you've heard that you're in this space. Well, I played for Detroit Lions. Barry Sanders was on my team. I watched Barry Sanders work with his coach doing fundamentals every single day. So if you're going to tell me that arguably the greatest running back in NFL history is not above being coached, okay, we can talk about that. So if you think it's not for you, it may be exactly for you. Yeah, 100%. But you never know until you take a leap and find out. Yeah. Derek Price, father of the future, doctor, CEO, athlete, coach. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks, Luke. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you too, brother. If you got some value out of this podcast, what we ask for is that you simply just share it, pass it along, send a text to somebody, might even put in the comments, I love you. And if you're not following us on all social media platforms, make sure you do that as well at Luke Kayyem and the Fathers of the Future website, fathersofthefuture.com. The Crucible is coming to town. We have three experiential-based trainings coming to Scottsdale over the next three months, October 17th, November 7th, and December 8th. And you can find out all that information and apply online at fathersofthefuture.com. We'll see you guys soon. Peace. Peace.